Amen. Good morning. Good to see you all today. I want to begin this morning by thanking those who helped out in Wentzville yesterday. Uh, you may remember that in, in June we had Rick Tucker come and talk about a brand new church plant that is uh, that is happening there that he's leading uh, called Red Tree Church. And it's a Baptist church there in Wentzville. And uh, many of, you, of uh, the church family went out yesterday to help canvas, I think, over a thousand homes were covered with invitations. And then uh, last night there was a pool party and I was talking to Rick about, you know, how many people that they had that, that showed up at this, uh, at this pool party in Wentzville. And he said that they somehow were able to invite every family in the school district. And so it's really amazing. Some kind of an email thread that went out and uh, most people that were there heard about it through that. And so this morning at 10 is their very first worship service. So you be praying for them. This is an, uh, certainly a, an example of local mission at work and uh, in a very uh, uh, fast-growing uh, place uh, in our metro. And so you'll be praying for Rick and for the Red Tree Church this morning. Today we're going to be looking at another parable that uh, we've been looking at them all summer. But uh, this one has to do with covetousness. And uh, covetousness literally means a thirst for having more. It's like an appetite that's insatiable, just uh, never being satisfied, but wanting more and more. A question was asked, who has greater contentment, a man with seven children or a man with seven million dollars? How would you answer that? (laughs) One person said it's the man with seven children because he doesn't want any more. So if you're the eighth child, don't take that personally. The problem with covetousness is it confuses what identity really is. Sometimes we hear that identity is what one has instead of who one is. The world measures the worth of an individual largely in terms of possessions. And if there is a culture in this world that does that, it's the American culture. And so there's a there's a word to us today, whether we have a lot or whether we have a little because of the culture in which we live that we can hear the words of our Lord today as he tries to make a point in this parable that our worth or our identity is not determined by our wealth. Life is not found in possessions. Life is found in a person. And Jesus himself said in John chapter 10, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And so he's going to begin and he's going to end the parable with a call to consider what real worth, what real wealth is all about. And uh, and so to this morning, I invite your attention to Luke chapter 12. We're going to see yet again an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. There's a spiritual principle that the Lord wants to communicate. And he does so by by telling a story, something that uh, that helps illustrate a principle that he wants uh, uh, the listeners of that day as well as us today uh, to consider. It will leave us with an eternal perspective, which can be difficult. Uh, And again, whether it's in our culture or even in other cultures uh, throughout history, uh, to try to understand uh, a balance between the temporal and the eternal, to try to understand a balance between between uh, the things that God has provided and blessed us with and yet not turning the, the, the blessing into the into the deity. And so keeping that perspective uh, is a is a reminder for us all today. Again, 
particularly for the culture in which we live. Luke chapter 12, and we're going to see the the setting of the parable uh, flows out of a request made by a brother. And uh, I'll read verses 13 to 15 as we begin. Someone in the crowd said to him, Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So again, we see at the very beginning of the parable, before he even starts, he already sets the tone. He sets the theme. And then he takes that spiritual truth and illustrates it with the parable. So this may have been a younger brother asking Jesus to help divide the inheritance because in that day the younger brother might not have gotten as much as the older brother, right? They did things a little differently at that time. Uh, and so you, you, you think, well, maybe it's a reasonable request that he would, that he would ask something like that. Uh, after all, you know, Jesus would have been uh, recognized as a good teacher, a fair person. But Jesus is able to look beyond the request and he's able to see the man's heart. And so within his heart, he has an understanding of what is really needed in this situation. So he speaks to him uh, based upon what he sees there. And he sees the attitude that's there. Jesus wasn't coming to settle these kinds of earthly disputes. There were judges that could do that. He had a more important role. And that was to get to the heart of the matter and to be able to speak about the subject of covetousness. So this morning, let's, let's, uh, let's take uh, heed as well, particularly as we see verse 15. This idea of take care or take heed is, is really one word in the original language, which means watch out, be on guard, pay attention, watch carefully what, what, is, uh, uh, what is around you, because it's almost like saying there's a trap that could, that could pull you in. And I think that when we think about possessions and when we think about, we think about resources, that, that there is a temptation to get pulled in. There is the idea that there's always something else that we that we want, that we that we think that we need and that that it can be this this cycle that uh, that never satisfies. And the reason that they don't satisfy is because we can never we can never satisfy that eternal hunger with the temporal things of the world. And yet that's the temptation that's out there. And so. The very end of the parable is going to, going to circle back around and tell this young man how he should be rich. But before we get there, let's, let's look at the story. Here's what he says. He speaks a story, shares a story about a foolish farmer. Let's pick up in verse 16. It says, and he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Verse 20. But God said to him, fool. This night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So here we have very short, very simple story, one that uh, very easy to follow. He tells us about a farmer who enjoyed this run of, of, of unbroken prosperity, right? 
And then he had this harvest that uh, must have been even greater than what he expected because he didn't have room to, uh, to store all that, uh, that had been produced from the land. So he couldn't, he couldn't hold it and uh, he, couldn't, he couldn't store it. So he, he came up with the solution to tear down the old barns and build bigger ones. And what was the purpose for that? He wanted to keep all of it. Why did he want to keep it? So that he could eat, drink, and be merry. He could just relax for, for how long? Many years to come. Think of the surplus that must have been there. The surplus that he thought would continue. But God interrupted his plans by telling him that his soul would be required when? That very night. And he even called him by a title that we really aren't to call one another. Do you see that? That's, that's a strong word, the word fool. Um, it, it's used in, in times, you can see in the book of Proverbs, it says the, the fool has said in his heart that there, there is no God. Um, and we see it again here, a few occasions where it, where it speaks of it. But, uh, but here he's being called out because he's, he's thinking foolishly. He's placing too high of a priority on the things of the world, the material, the temporal. And he's not giving consideration to those things which matter most. I want us to see, first of all, that the farmer remembered a few things. But the things he remembered were the wrong things. First of all, we see that he remembered himself. If you read back through the, this, uh, this very short parable, you'll see the word I about six times and the word my or mine about four times, just in a few verses. So it's I, 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 my, 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 mine, mine, mine. And so he's, he's remembering himself. You, you get the picture here of self-indulgence. Kind of reminds me of uh, one of those bumper stickers. Um, if you have one on your car, don't, don't be offended. I'm just using it as an example. Um, but it says, uh, the one who dies with the most toys wins. You've seen it too, haven't you? Yeah. The one who dies. Isn't that kind of what he's thinking? Now, I, I've seen it, another one that says something like, the one who dies with the most toys still dies. Have you seen that one? Self-indulgence. The idea of wanting more and more. An appetite that just can't be satisfied. He was remembering himself. He was remembering the temporal world, preoccupied with the things of the here and now and forgetting that there's another world, an eternal world. Someone once wisely said that this world is a bridge. The wise man will pass over it, but will not build his house upon it. Thinking instead about building and storing up eternal treasures. In other words, this world is just a, a stage to prepare for the next. And the person who forgets this is foolish, for he has really forgotten the main object of the life which God has given. And that is to live in light of eternity and to prepare for it. Jesus is warning that it is possible for someone to become so preoccupied with the temporal things that they would forget the eternal. Do we ever see that? Do we ever see the preoccupation with what is around us that we forget the eternal? Leo Tolstoy once told the story of a Russian peasant. And he was approached and told that, that he would be given as much land as he could walk around between sunup and sundown. Can you imagine that? Someone told you 
between between uh, sunrise and sundown, as much land that you can that you can get around on foot will be yours. Well, he couldn't believe it. So with the rising of the sun, the peasant began walking as fast as he could. By mid-morning, he, he felt like he was moving too slowly, so he increased his pace. It was lunchtime, but he didn't even stop. He just kept, kept going. As the afternoon heat beat down on him, he hurried his pace even more. He felt that he simply must circle more and more land. By late afternoon, he was soaked with sweat from head to toe. He was exhausted. He had walked around a huge section, but he yearned for even more. So this time he began to pick up the pace and, and even to a run. And, and he was out of breath. He was pushing himself to a fatigue that he'd never seen before. His heart was beating wildly. And yet sundown was only a few minutes away. So he ran faster and faster. And as he was reaching and racing towards the point of beginning, a point that would make him the largest landowner in the area, he fell to the ground and he died. Do we see that? This farmer was remembering the wrong things. His focus was upon the temporal. So these are the things he was forgetting. What were uh, the, let, let's see uh, uh, the other things. Uh, these were the things he was remembering. Let's see the things he was forgetting. He was forgetting others. If his barns were too small to hold his crops, certainly there would have been some people out there somewhere that could have been blessed and benefited by his surplus. But there's not a single word about others, not even rewarding those who worked with him or for him. Not a thing. He apparently felt no social obligation to help the community in which he lived. The only beneficiary in his mind was himself. I came across a poem that I know was written many years ago. You may have heard it. It goes like this. Go give to the needy sweet charities bread. Forgiving is living, the angel said. And must I be giving again and again? My peevish, petulant answer ran. Oh, no, said the angel, piercing me through. Just give till the master stops giving to you. You see, God had been generous. God's the one who blesses the harvest. God had been generous to the farmer, but the farmer was not thinking to be generous to those around him. He also not only forgot others, he forgot time. In verse 19, he's talking about these good many things he has laid up for years. He thought he had plenty of time, when in reality, he only had a few minutes left. James chapter 4 gives a similar warning. Verses 13 to 15, come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Verse 14, Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. It's not a, a passage that speaks against planning. It's not a passage that speaks against working hard. It's a passage which puts into perspective the life that we live. And to, yes, we want to work hard, we want to share, we want to contribute and help others. But we also want to live in light of what's most important. And we want to have spiritual investments and, and spend time serving and, and, uh, and, and, and thinking about uh, the things of the Lord, working in His kingdom. 
the spiritual kingdom. Another thing that the farmer forgot, he forgot others, he forgot time, but he also forgot God. We can see this from from several aspects. Uh, The first of which is that he misunderstood where his wealth had come from. And that, I think, is why he misused the wealth. If he'd understood that it came from God, he would have been thinking about it in in a more godly way. God had given a harvest, but he didn't understand that. The problem was not that he had money. The problem was that he worshipped the money or he worshipped the crops. He replaced the eternal God with a material God. That was his focus. And that's where he got his security. It's really a word for all of us. As I said at the beginning, whether we have little or whether we have a lot, the temptation can be the same. To allow the things of the world to be the things that we worship. Even our young people today should should take note of this because there is a, a temptation in our culture to define oneself based upon what we have. To see the things that others have and, and want them and not be satisfied with what God has provided. More and more and more. What might that lead in one's life? How might that lead one to live? If that's the focus. Well, he didn't utter a single word about God in considering what to do with the bounty. Remember, he talked about my harvest or my fruits, my barns, and he had forgotten where it came from. David writes in First Chronicles 29, verse 12, both riches and honor come from you and you rule over all in your hand are power and might and in your hand It is to make great and to give strength to all. Again, as I said a few minutes ago, I I believe that, that we're called to work hard. We're called to earn a living. We're called to provide for families. We're called to, to, uh, to, to make the, the the most of these opportunities that that are before us. And yet, we also must remember that it's, it's God who blesses. You might say, well, I, I'm, I'm the one that, 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 that works hard. Well, I, I want to tell you that he gave you the health to work or he gave you the, the, the insight and the, the, uh, the, uh, the abilities, maybe the mental or physical abilities for the type of work that you do, the opportunities that are there. Again, recognizing that God has given blessing. But in the farmer's case, this wasn't what he was thinking about. He wasn't praising God for the blessing, but instead he'd forgotten him. And then there was a day of reckoning. It's almost like at the end of this parable, there's a like a, a clap of thunder. Almost like a lightning bolt that's coming. A man who's so busy congratulating himself on his prosperity and his ingenuity, making all kinds of plans for the future, right? But then verse 20 comes. And uh, what does verse 20 say? But God said three important words. If you like to underline, but God said he'd been doing all the talking, right? And then God had something to say. There's no evidence that this man had been conversing with God, that he was not approaching God or thinking to him. But here we see that God is ready to talk to him. God said to him, fool. This night, your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared. Whose will they be? In the eyes of the world, 
How would you say this man looked? In the eyes of the world, he looked like he had, uh, he had, he had been the best. In the eyes of the world, he had, he, had, he had won the game, right? But what about in the eyes of God? Who could look beyond what he had and looked into his heart. In God's eyes, he was foolish. To be a fool means to live without reason, to be senseless. A man here who thought he had many years to live, and he didn't even have another day. And that very night, God said, your soul is required of you. As I was reading through the, 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 the meaning of the, these words, um, the word required jumped out at me. Um, required, the commentary said, was, was a banking term. Uh, a word that, that would have would have been speaking of, of of something like calling in a loan, that uh, that now was the time to to call in the loan. It's required that you pay it back. And when we think about it from that perspective, isn't that what life really is? Isn't life really on loan from the giver of life? Isn't he the one that someday will 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 bring it back in? That it'll take it into eternity? take it to himself we don't always live in light of that but the parable tells us that people may ignore god all of their lives but one of these days they will ignore him no longer maybe today is a day for you to consider what it means to live in light of eternity i realize it's hard the traps are everywhere whether we're young or old, the traps for, for security or for success, the definitions of this world are, 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 are very clear. But if we follow that line of thinking, we might not ever think of eternity. Like this man. Gave it no thought. It was all about what else he could give or what other uh, ways he could, he could eat, drink, and be merry. But not giving thought for what would take place when this life was over. Well, there is a solution at the end of the parable. And the solution is three simple words. Rich toward God. Isn't that an interesting phrase? To be rich toward God. So the parable was about, right? It was about riches. Jesus was talking to, to a man who was concerned about riches. In fact, that's that's what prompted the whole parable in the first place. And so it's as if full circle comes around, but Jesus tells him that he's seeking to be rich in the wrong things. What does it mean to be rich toward God? Isn't that an interesting phrase? Rich toward God. This was really the goal of what Jesus was giving the young man that he wanted him to be thinking about. James Montgomery Boyce said it this way in defining this phrase. He said, it means that one is to be rich in spiritual things, which will last, as opposed to being rich only in material things, which will not last. And over a hundred years ago, a man named William Taylor also took this phrase and explained it this way. He said, faith in Jesus Christ enriches us. By giving us the blessings, and then you define some of them, of forgiveness, peace, holiness, and heaven. 
Just hear those words and, and, and ask yourself, what are the value of those words? What would be the value to have the blessing of forgiveness, peace, holiness, and heaven? Gifts in which God wants to bestow upon those who call upon Him. He goes on to say that these are the outcome of gratitude for the blessings which God has enriched us with. They include present happiness, but also future reward. He goes on to say, these are things which the world cannot give or take away. These are things which are the possessions of our soul and of which death cannot deprive us. I heard another person say that that uh, when the mourners are leaving the tombstone, that there's only one thing that the death cannot take, and that is the character of the one who has gone on before. Thinking about character, thinking about perspective, thinking about living in light of eternity. There's a story told of a conversation between a young, ambitious man and an elderly gentleman. They were talking and having a a conversation that, that eventually turned towards what it would be like in the future. The young man said he had plans. He said, I'm going to learn a trade. And the old man asked him, and then what will you do? And then I will set up my business, said the young man. And then, was the reply of the old man, I will make my fortune. And then? I will grow old and retire and live on the money. And then? Well, I suppose that someday I will die. And then the stabbing question came one more time. What did he say? And then. Think what is beyond this life. Again, a very short, very simple parable. But is it a simple one to apply? I mean, you think about the about the the challenges of trying to live in light of eternity. And again, it really isn't a parable that's given just for those that that may have a lot. Even those who have very little can set their hearts on the temporal and can set their hearts on on the material and have an appetite that, that is not satisfied. So how do we then turn the perspective? How do we look? to the eyes of our Lord and and see how we can live in light of eternity. I think it begins by by understanding what what, what true worth and true value really is. I think it it continues by, by understanding that the blessings which God give and provide are greater than anything that this world can can give for us. That they can sustain us, that they can give us assurance and they can provide The things that that oftentimes we try to use, things, stuff, to satisfy. Have you ever done that? Or am I the only one who tried to meet a spiritual need with something temporal? Anybody else done that? Does Does it even satisfy at all? It just leaves us empty. And we think, well, maybe we just need more of it or something else, right? Maybe today you've reached that point 
Maybe today you recognize a need for something beyond what this world can give. So I would encourage each of us, myself included, to think through this parable. To consider what it will be like beyond the grave. To consider what it is that we're storing up. What it is that we're preparing for. Because now is the time for that opportunity. Because just like the man had this encounter with God that said, now, this day, your soul is required of you. Each of us, each of us will have that occasion to stand before a living Lord. And our soul, our lives will be called back in just like that loan. The life that's been on loan for us will be called in. And it's at that point that we will wish and hope that we had spent more time preparing for eternity. Would you bow with me as we go to the Lord in prayer? As we uh, bow our heads and close our eyes, I want us to, to think through beyond the needs of this life what the world has to offer. And as you begin to pray, would you ask the Lord to give you a, a, an eternal perspective? A perspective that would, that would look to Him as primary importance. The satisfier of your soul. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. And as we consider a parable today that is striking, a parable that, that, uh, that you gave to a, to a young man, but preserved for each of us, we ask that you would give us eyes to see it, and ears to hear it, and a heart that is longing to apply it. So, Father, I pray today that you would help us to see through the traps of the temporal. And while we can and should recognize the blessings you provide, the daily needs that you meet, help us to keep them into perspective. Help us to look around and to see how they can be used to assist others how we should first and foremost give you thanks and glory for what we have. God, I pray that you would convict us when we allow these things to become a substitute for you and help us to cast our eyes beyond this world and even the earthly life and to think about what's next. We thank you for your word today and we pray, Lord, that you will take it and apply it to each of us. As we think about your blessings, we're reminded that what we have, you have given to us. And so today we are thankful that we can give back. And we pray that you will take what is given, that you'll use it for your purpose and for your glory in this church, in our community and around this world. We pray this in Christ's name. And all of God's people said.